All right, let's do this. Peanut, if you're staying in the room, no talking. Hello, and welcome to the PhotoWork Podcast, the talky and touchy-feely version of my book, PhotoWork, 40 Photographers on Process and Practice. I'm Sasha Wolf. And I'm joined, as usual, by my friend and producer, my Mr. Fix-It, my Jack of all trades, master of a few. I was going to (laughs) say. Some. Just enough. (laughs) Just enough. Exactly. That's such a good attitude. Mr. Michael Chauvin. Hyphen Dalton, Michael Chauvin, hyphen Dalton. <laughs> Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, good. You know, a little harried uh, with all the, I have a bunch of things coming up uh, with, uh, you know, a show at the gallery I run and, and I'm traveling to Atlanta for a quick wedding. And it's just one of those uh, few days. Weddings are back. <laughs> yes, that's right. I didn't, oh. wasn't thinking about that in those terms, but yes. You've just made the announcement to the world. That's Weddings right. are back. All right. <laughs> Go get them. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do it, people. <laughs> Spend that money. Yeah, give, give so, some photographers <laughs> some work. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, so... I loved this episode Mm -hmm. personally. So it was a conversation with my good friend, the photographer, Jess T. Dugan, who was my second returning guest after Jillian and also sort of under similar circumstances. I mean, Jillian had a new book out and the big show at ICP and Jess's new book with MacBooks is just landed this week so we thought it would be uh worthwhile and i think that we were right to yes. have Je- <laughs> to have just <laughs> just back on the show to talk about their new book uh it's called um look at me like you love me Ugh. amazing title what a title and yeah so so right uh what a great conversation you know this is maybe the the most in-depth sort of process conversation on this one idea or one project or one pursuit but it also doesn't feel like it when you're listening to it which was amazing because it's so very personal and it involves so many decisions that Jess had to make that were about relationships that were about you know who Jess is today as opposed to 10-15 years ago and uh, really incredible conversation. Yeah I mean it's going to be a little hard for people to understand exactly what we're talking about. And so, you know, you'll go into the podcast and then it'll become clear. (laughs) But basically, for sure, out of all the episodes we've done thus far, this is the most, I mean, we've we've talked process, we talk process all the time, Mm -hmm. but, but we've never talked process about one project through an entire show. And that may sound dry, but like you're saying, it's not. <laughs> be- it's not because <laughs> I mean, just just think about the title. Look at me like you love me. Um, <laughs> the book is so personal, and so the conversation becomes extremely personal. And I think you and I both had an idea that that was 
going to happen and why we wanted to have Jess back on. And just a side note before we get to it, Jess worked with the designer, uh, one of Mac's designers. I don't know if it's Mac's main designer, but a woman named Morgan Crowcroft Brown, who I'm a huge fan of. Um, she's done a lot of my favorite books, books I love in general and mm. books that uh, design that I love. And we're hoping to have Morgan on either next episode or very soon. And so it'll be really fun to actually talk to Morgan about not just Jess's book, but other books as well. We haven't had a designer on yet. That's and right. because yeah. I think we've made it clear in the podcast how important we think the photo book is. I think it's going to be really fun to, to talk to a designer who's really considered one of the best in the business. So Absolutely. Yeah. Hopefully that one works out. We're working with those European schedules. <laughs> so. Yeah. Morgan's in Europe and, and is, is on press all the time in different countries. So it's a bit of a logistics <laughs> situation that we're in. But we're really excited about that. We have Barbara Bosworth, an artist I represent, one of the great landscape photographers, and mm. don't want to re reduce her just to being a landscape <laughs> photographer. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, one of the great photographers. Barbara's coming up, and we've got some a lot of great guests uh, down the line. Absolutely. But anyway, but today's today's episode, I think, is really really special. So I hope everyone yes. really loves it. And I guess, I guess because it, it is another one of the sort of longer ones, maybe we'll, we'll just get to it if that's okay with you. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, Michael, if you don't mind, then please take it away. My pleasure. And here is your conversation with Jess T. Dugan. Jess T. Dugan, welcome back to the Photo Work Podcast. Thanks so much, Sasha. It's always so lovely to talk to you. I'm excited to be here. I like it when I'm talking to my really good friends and we sort of are pretending that we aren't talking all the time. Um. <laughs> should we Should we unpretend? Should we do that again? I'll, I'll pretend like I haven't talked to you already this week for a really long time. <laughs> I think we'll just leave, we'll just let it roll. Um, okay. <laughs> so you are my second second. You All are right. my second Who was the second? first? Was Jillian Laub the first? Yeah. All right. Yeah. See, I'm Jillian. paying attention. I got it. Yeah, you are. Extra points. <laughs> so we decided to to do another episode on the occasion of your new book, um, Look at Me Like You Love Me, which is such a beautiful title that when I say it out loud, it makes me want to burst into tears. Um, oh, thank you. I'm to control myself. And yeah, so this book um, is, was just released by Mac this week. So this is super exciting. We got our timing right and just huge congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really excited about the book, and I'm really excited for it to start landing in the U.S. Well, I, of course, want to just jump right in, but it's a little tricky, and you and I talked about this, because the first time we recorded together a year ago, whenever it was, we started the way we always do with, with your bio, and your bio is really fascinating. And so we wanted you to sort of air it out last time, because it has you had a really interesting journey. Um I think this time, because hopefully a lot of the audience heard that, we don't need you to go into too much, but we do need some. So 
uh, I'll leave that up to you, but but give a little bit of your background and and then we'll we'll get into where we are now. Sure, of course. So I grew up in Little Rock, Arkansas. I came of age in Boston, Massachusetts. I went to graduate school in Chicago, and I currently live in St. Louis. So that's a bit about my geographical tra- trajectory. But as a photographer, I discovered photography at a pretty young age. I began working seriously with photography and immediately with portraiture when I was about 17. I went to the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, and then I worked in the museum field for several years, which is a pretty significant influence on my Mm -hmm. career as an artist. So I did that for several years after my undergraduate degree, and then I pursued my MFA in photography at Columbia College Chicago, where I worked very closely with Dawood Bay, and I also worked at the Museum of Contemporary Photography there, both of which were incredibly meaningful to me. And for the past eight years, as I mentioned, I've been in St. Louis and I've been working as a self-employed artist. So I've been focusing on my career, focusing on my work, which has been really amazing. And I guess thematically or conceptually, I've always been interested in portraiture. I've been almost tunnel vision on portraiture. I do have some still life images in the new book, which I'd be interested to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. But I've I've basically spent my career being really invested in portraiture and looking specifically at issues of identity. A lot of my work has centered around issues of gender or sexuality, and certainly this larger notion of what it means to know oneself, what it means to live authentically, what it means to connect with other people in an intimate way. And I think those last three things I mentioned are really foregrounded in the new book. So I'm excited to to tease all of that apart with you. And then I guess the one other thing I would add about my my biography is I've worked really closely with museums as an artist as well. So a big part of my practice is placing my work in museum collections and, and exhibiting my work in museum spaces. So I realize we may or may not get to that in depth today, but for viewers who didn't hear the first episode, that's an important part of my practice so far. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting that you sort of started out working in museums knowing, I mean, I feel like you sort of knew that portraiture was more difficult work to sell to individuals, mm-hmm. but more easily received by institutions. And you were very mm-hmm. comfortable with that. I wonder, I mean, this is just a sort of counterfactual, but if you hadn't been so comfortable in the museum world, I wonder if you would have been as comfortable to sort of going down a, a path that you knew could be very difficult from a sales perspective. But that is such a different topic. So right away, I've taken us us off topic. Sure. I mean, I will say, yeah, just to answer that briefly. I think when I worked in museums, I loved it, but I was also information gathering. I was trying to figure out how to be an artist, what options were available to me, how this system functioned, Mm -hmm. and... Those early experiences, I worked in a museum and a commercial gallery simultaneously, and those early experiences were so important to me as an artist. But um, but yes, I think understanding the back end of museums, especially as it relates to them collecting portraiture, has been pretty key to my career so far. Yeah, and your success selling portraiture to institutions, because right. you are a master. <laughs> Thank you. Why don't you just give a little bit of background about the two books that you 
have already done your two previous books before we get into this new one, just so there's some you know context there. Sure, yeah. And I should also share with listeners that I have always been really interested in books. I think, like so many photographers, I think of my work in books. I discovered a lot of photography that's influential to me in books. And so books have been really important to me, both mm -hmm. on the artistic side, but also on the career side. My first book was published in 2015 with Daylight Books, and it was called Every Breath We Drew. And it had 62 photographs from 2011 to 2015. And obviously, that was my first book. It was really important to me. It was a really, you know, instructive experience. It was a learning experience for me to make a book. And that was really significant to my career at the time. I've obviously grown and changed a lot since then. And the work has grown and changed a lot since then. And that's part of what motivated me to make a new book now. And I'm certainly happy to elaborate on the differences between you know, how I thought about that book and how I think about this book, because they're quite different. And then my second book was called To Survive on This Shore, Photographs and Interviews with Transgender and Gender Nonconforming Older Adults. And I published this in 2018 with Kara Verlag in Heidelberg, Germany. And the first printing of that sold out. We did a second printing in 2019, and that is also currently sold out. So that book proved to be really successful. It was a collaborative project I made with my partner, Vanessa Fabre, who's a social worker. And it obviously focused on transgender older adults. And so it crossed over into a very particular community and had a really wide reach outside of a photography community or an art community, which I think is in part why it, it has proven so successful. So those are my first two books. Every Breath We Drew was, you know, from the same body of work that this new book is from. And I think of that series as my soul work, the work that really expresses the core of who I am. And then the second book had a different focus. It was more documentary. It had a activist mission and educational mission. So when I was thinking about this new book, I really wanted to swing back 100% toward the highly personal, subjective, you know, soul work that is the portraiture of Every Breath We Drew. So when you're thinking about making a book that's a continuation of a body of work. If that's not an accurate description, let me know. Mm -hmm. But what are some of the first foundational things you think about? Is it how do I how do I focus on similarities so there's that continuity? Or uh -huh. are you thinking about how to differentiate? That's a great question. And I really wrestled with this question for a couple of years. I knew that I wanted to make a new book because my other book was so early and the work had really grown a lot. And I, f I feel that it has gotten a lot stronger. And so I wanted a book of that project. And I wasn't sure exactly how to go about that. I wasn't sure if I should publish, you know, essentially republish the earlier book mm -hmm. with an expanded edit and try to do a more comprehensive publication of this body of work, which at the time I was working on this book was about 10 years in. I had been working on it for about 10 years. Or perhaps I should go just with the new work and create something new. And I wasn't totally sure how to solve this problem. I was thinking about that in terms of both what I wanted to put out into the world and also what made sense from a career standpoint. And I had actually began a discussion with Michael Mack assuming that I was going to republish the earlier book, that I was going hmm. to reissue Every Breath We Drew with an updated, expansive edit. Mm -hmm. And 
pretty early on in conversations with Michael, he suggested that I don't focus on this new book as a reissue or a kind of comprehensive catalog of the body of work, but that instead I just go full speed ahead with the best pictures right now, where the work is at right now, and really think about it as an artist book. And I found that really liberating. I do tend to sometimes overthink the career side of my practice, and I had just gotten kind of attached to this idea of republishing. But as soon as he he suggested making an artist book that was very much of the moment, I felt really excited and really liberated. And so I took that and ran with it. I pulled from the most recent work. Most of the images in the book are from the last three or four years Mm -hmm. and really edited them together based on how things were working in this moment. I I let go of kind of the history of the body of work, if Mm -hmm. you will. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, there's the writing component, which we can talk about perhaps separately. But it took me a while to, to figure out how to go about this book. And I was really thrilled and excited by what Mac brought to the table in terms of their collaboration and 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 how that led to the book being what it is. All right, so let's so what is the book? So let's let's I mean yeah, let's let's assume people don't have it right in front of them. So what's the book? So the book is a collection of 60 photographs. It is primarily an artist book, by which I mean, I very much conceived of it as it being its own object. There's no curatorial text, there's no artist interview, there are no acknowledgments from me. I really thought of the book as a kind of visual poem. So the photographs exist as their own things between the covers. You know, taking a step back and not talking about the book as an object, but thinking conceptually about it. It's a collection of portraits and still life images. It's highly personal. The book begins and ends with self-portraits. And it's really a meditation on life and what it means to be an individual and what it means to be in relationship with others. It's meditating on loss or the risk of loss. It's looking at transitions that we go through in our life. You know, the texts are placed throughout the book. There are, I believe the final number was 20 texts, and they're interspersed without the photo, uh, throughout the photographs. And those were all written by me in 2021. And in my mind, they fall into three primary categories. Not that I conceived of them this way, but this is just how it kind of worked out. And the first category is memories or reflections that come from certain photographs. And some of those texts are a little bit longer and tell a particular story. The second category is reflections on why I photograph and my own compulsion to make images, what that does for me, kind of psychoanalyzing myself and investigating this deep-seated need I have to photograph. And then the third category is reflections meditating on desire. So those are interspersed throughout the book. And the texts, even though they were written often about specific photographs, have been intentionally separated from those photographs. So the book has a lot of ambiguity within it. It very mu- It's very personal. It comes from my own life. The texts are incredibly personal. But through the process of how we edited and sequenced, I really tried to leave a lot of room for a viewer to bring to it what they will and to leave a lot of entrance points for a viewer. 
So yeah, maybe I'll pause there. I could keep going, but I, I suspect you might have a more pointed question. Well, I, first of all, I like it when you just talk, so that's fine with me. Um, <laughs> and you can always just keep going. Don't worry about what I'm thinking. No one's ever been able to silence me, so I'll get my, uh, <laughs> my questions in. What I was thinking is I want to I make a little bit more explicit to listeners that the text sort of alternates between being specific and reading to me sort of like a, a lyrical memoir and being extremely poetic. Mm-hmm. And, and when I say poetic, I guess, I guess I'm thinking of a certain type of poetry, which is to say poetry that is a little bit more opaque. Mm-hmm. And there are pages where there's 10 or 20 lines of text, maybe more. And there are pages where there's two or three lines of text. And Mm -hmm. it is very disorienting in the best possible way. It's so emotional that you have to give yourself over to it. I mean, would you agree with that? You you I mean, it's sort of one of these things that's probably hard for you to entirely know, because you know what what the meaning is behind all your words. But I can tell you that for me, even knowing you very well, you know, I I had to give over to it in the way one does with certain poetry, where you know that unless you're in an advanced poetry class where the professor is breaking everything down for you, you you may not totally get everything, Mm -hmm. but you're getting enough and you're feeling and you have to trust. And I mean, that's how I felt you know, with the text. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I love that you use the word poetic. That's been a word that I've been saying a lot when I'm talking about the book. And I think of the book as a whole as a kind of visual poem, even aside from just the texts. Yes, yes. And I really played that up when editing and sequencing, I was thinking a lot about the experience that a viewer would go on as they go through the photographs and the texts. You know, we laid out both the images and the writing with a certain rhythm and a certain cadence and very much thought about that comprehensive experience. And I love how you say a viewer has to give themselves over to it because I do think you you open the book and you kind of enter into this world and this journey and It's very much meant to be experienced straight through, you know, it's not the kind of book that I hope people would, you know, open any page and and look at it. It's definitely a a path. And of course, people will do what they will with the book. But I meant for people to start at the beginning and, and read it all the way through. And I think you're right about the text being difficult to pinpoint to being about something specific or about a specific image. You know, one thing we really tried to play with in the editing and the sequencing is the positioning of the text to the image, the text that that was about a specific image, thinking about what happens if we have a a reader encounter this text and then, you know, 10 pages later, they see an image that feels familiar or vice versa. What if they see an image and then later a text jogs a memory of that. So mm-hmm. we were very much thinking about that placement. But yes, as you mentioned, I think the writing is very emotional. It's obviously very personal to me. So it's it's hard for me to get distance. But I wanted to bring people along on that emotional journey while leaving a lot of breathing room for them to relate to it from their own position. So I'm just going to really read very a very short section. It's the third time we 
encounter text. Uh-huh. Um, and you write, I ask you to meet me at sunrise. There's something intimate about this time of day. The world is still quiet. The open expansiveness of space belongs only to us. I can look at you without an audience. Take my time. The light begins to illuminate the grasses behind you, tall and brown. I have fallen in love with this landscape. You clasp your hands behind your head. Look away. So I, I wanted to read that because I think it's a really good example of what we're talking about in terms of the sort of feel of the writing. I mean, first of all, we don't know who you're talking about. Right. And there's that really interesting way in which the light begins to illuminate the grasses behind you, tall and brown. I have fallen in love with this landscape. There you are sort of poking at us to <laughs> identify you as a photographer, right? An artist. Mm -hmm. It's like so clear there. But then there's this love thing. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love that little section because it to me, it sort of it sort of has those things that you were talking about. Mm -hmm. The memories, why I photograph and desire being three main sort of subjects in the writing and in the book all are in uh -huh. that one little section there, right? I mean, right. so I, you know, I think that's just incredibly beautiful. I want to say that because I, you know, I, I think the book is really, I, first of all, I just love it so much. I mean, it, it's so beautiful and it's, you know, will not be a surprise to listeners of the podcast and people who know me to know that it's something that would, would really affect me very deeply because I'm a, a very emotional person and um, the book is, is extremely emotional. And mm -hmm. I think it's going to really resonate with, with people. It's very provocative. And I don't mean provocative in the way that, you know, we use that term a lot in the art world in a way that I actually find really negative. Uh -huh. But it's provocative on the most human level. Mm -hmm. And I, I really do also urge people to read it like they're reading a a book of poetry with pictures, you know, front to back, mm -hmm. because there's a story there, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's fragmented, and it's not always clear, but it's, it's really there. So how scary was it to, to write text for a book and to make, maybe not explicit, as we're saying, but certainly more explicit than just the pictures, some of your innermost feelings? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I have always had an interest in writing. And I've always had an interest in storytelling. And when I was working on this book, I thought back over my career. And I was I was reminded of a couple of other failed attempts of trying to include text or writing with my work. And I think it's something that's quite difficult. And I wasn't able to do it early on. And then of course, in To Survive on the Shore, there was a text component, but the words were from the subjects. They weren't from mm -hmm. me. So that was different. And then I was thinking about the video piece I made in 2017, which is about my estranged relationship with my father. And that had a text overlay, which was a, a, a rhetorical letter I wrote to him that I read out loud. And I think actually that use of text was the closest parallel to what I did in this book. Mm -hmm. You know, that was kind of the beginning of that. And so I've been reflecting on my use of text in writing and also my need to tell certain stories. And 
I think for me, you know, this book came out of a very particular moment for me. It came out of a certain point in my life and also in my career. You know, I'm 35. I'm not 22 anymore. I'm not just beginning. I have a, a family and a child and I'm grappling with different questions than I was when I made my first book. And also in my career, I think I'm at a point where I feel very confident as an image maker. And I just gave myself permission to let this work be what it will and to just follow it as pure artistry. And that felt really amazing. But going back to the question about writing, I remember it was actually on an early call with Michael. I said, I'm hesitant to suggest this because I haven't written anything yet, but I've been thinking that I want to write, you know, want to write creative fragments or stories kind of in the line of a memoir. And I haven't started yet. And, you know, I actually had done one earlier attempt where I was trying to write one kind of longer story and it just, it hadn't felt quite right. And Michael seemed excited by this idea and it kind of gave me permission, you know, for myself to just start this writing and see where it would go. And, and I did, and these stories just poured out of me and I think the texts came from this need to tell more of my story than I can in a photograph. And that was starting to emerge for me in the dad video. You know, I, I had felt this increasing divide between the perception of me professionally and my actual life. Well, and explain that. I'm not going to let that go by. Sorry. <laughs> well, I think, you know, when when thinking about the dad video in particular, I just... You know, I had spent many years giving artist talks and presenting work about my gender and my family, and it was all kind of neatly buttoned up, and people perceived me in a certain way. And then in reality, I had this incredibly difficult, unsupportive relationship with my father, and I and no one knew about it. And that divide was starting to feel very strange to me. I had cultivated, like, a professional version of myself that was in some ways different than the personal version of myself and had, you know, decided that certain parts of my life or identity were stories I wanted to tell in my work and other parts hadn't quite made it there yet. And I just started to feel this compulsion to tell those stories and to round out the reality of who I am. And what is the reality people... of who you are? Oh, goodness. Well, that's a big question. But, um, you know, I think I think I became more interested in talking about some of the messier things mm -hmm. or more complicated things or, you know, grappling with really intense decisions around needing to live authentically and having that come with the loss of a family member in that case. Your father is not, he's not comfortable with, with who you are, who you've become. Correct. Yes. And I think that video piece for me was also the the first time I had really told my story in a m much more personal, fully fleshed out way mm -hmm. in my work. And I know the video is different than the book, but I keep referencing it because I think in some ways the seeds of, of the emotion in the book were also in the video. And I definitely feel with this book that I had a need to tell my story. And the very first text is about that. Mm -hmm. And that felt really critical and felt important. And so the text, they just kind of came. You know, I had this pretty intense period of writing. I would often get up really early in the morning and write 
at, you know, 5 a.m. And it was just this kind of quiet, meditative process. And, you know, I certainly had to have some discipline around writing them. But for the most part, it it just came. And it just felt like it was existing alongside the photographs. And I was already aware that I was going to be making a book. So I had this framework to imagine the text in, which I've learned about myself as an artist. It's helpful for me to have some some idea of a framework that I'm working toward. And I just let the texts come. I didn't overthink them. I didn't try to write certain kinds. I just wrote as things came to me. And sometimes I would write in response to a photograph I had just made. Mm -hmm. You know, I was still photographing during this time. And so there was this very symbiotic relationship between me making images and me writing. And and then at the end, I had this large collection of texts, and I very much viewed them as their own pieces and mm-hmm. sequenced them in with the photographs as their own, you know, emotional and sequential elements. And so there was a process of just creating and letting it flow, and then a totally separate process of editing, which of course is also true with my photographs. You know, I made this book during the pandemic, and I think the pandemic was really significant for me in terms of reflecting on my life and my relationships and what's important. And my work had really changed and deepened and become even more emotional and psychological and inward looking and reflective during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And this book came on the heels of that. So it very much came out of a specific moment for me, both in that very literal way, you know, reflecting on having spent almost two years asking these questions, but also the larger stage that I'm at in my life. And I was really protective of the book. I didn't share the writing with very many people. I didn't, you know, solicit a lot of feedback on the book. I worked very closely with Mac. And then I had a few people who I'm close to who I would get feedback from. But I really kept the writing and the book close to my chest um, Mm -hmm. because I just had this sense that I was harnessing something that was really urgent, really of the moment for me, and I just needed to let it be what it is. And I really carried that all the way through to the end of the book. And then I had this moment, I think, maybe a month ago when the book kind of started to land. You know, it's 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 available in Europe currently, so it's been out there for a couple weeks and it's arriving in the US this week, but right as the book started to land, I think I had this delayed realization of how personal it is and how personal the writing it is, and it did feel <laughs> a bit vulnerable. Yes, um, I can imagine. And I feel really proud of it. I love it. I'm I feel like it's the best book I've ever made and it's it's the strongest work I've ever made and I'm really excited for it to land in the world. But I had this super delayed wave of vulnerability mm-hmm. and I think perhaps subconsciously I had to just keep that at bay so that I could just make the work and let the book be what it needed to be and then worry about that later, you know, think about the audience later. But But yeah, I very much felt like I followed the work in this book and yeah, really let it be what it needed to be. Well, here's the good news. The worst thing that can happen is that you're going to be more known. I mean, I mean that like people will, sure. will know know who you are more. Right. And, you know, yeah. you'll have to decide. I feel like you and I touched on this a little bit in the first episode and you and I have talked about this as friends before. 
I personally suffer a lot from how known I really want to be. It's something I'm tormented by because I have very intense feelings both ways. Um, And I know you have some of that. So, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you are going to be more known. There is nothing else bad that's going to happen. I mean, you'll have to figure out how bad that is, or you know, if it's bad. But, you know, being more known will not lead to any harm coming to anyone you love. And, and it certainly won't lead to diminishment of respect or where you are in your career. Because I think, as you said, I think it is the best work you've ever done. I really feel I can say that with you know, real confidence. Um, so, you know, I do understand the perilous feeling when, when we share. Yeah. And then think, holy cow, <laughs> you know, why did I right. go ahead and do, why did I do that horrible thing sharing? Um, <laughs> but so let's just talk a little bit about because I, I think this is important. You you did keep it pretty close, but you collaborated. And it, it sounds like a really beautiful and highly functional way with you said with Mac but I yeah. know what I know when you say with Mac when you're not saying Michael that you mean the team um, that right. you were working with at Mac so who is that team and uh, I know one of them your designer who I want you to talk about a bit is probably gonna be a guest on the podcast soon so because I'm a huge fan of her work but c- can we talk about those collaborations with the team at Mac, what they looked like, what those guys brought to it, how the text in relation to the pictures may have changed or may not have, and even the typography, which I think is very specific, and and, and the layout of the text. Sure, yeah. And I guess to your point about being known before I jump into the Mac yeah. team, I really wanted that. I think I, yeah. I need, need that as a person, and I have been definitely increasingly moving in that direction in Mm -hmm. my work. So even though I had a wave of vulnerability, I also feel really excited by it. Mm -hmm. And I was eager to share those parts of myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it feels really good, but I definitely had to keep it close in order to let myself be really honest during the making. Mm -hmm. But I am excited for that to land and for people to have a more nuanced look into who I am Mm -hmm. and and what I'm thinking about. And I'm also really interested that this book records who I am in this moment. And I'm really aware that that's going to change and evolve. And I might not make this book in five years or 10 years. And I'm interested in that. You know, I do think of my career, perhaps obviously, as a lifelong pursuit. And so I'm also interested in how I'm going to change and wanting to harness the particularities of a specific moment or a specific life phase. So I feel like I really did that in this book. In terms of the team, I worked very closely with Michael Mack. I also worked equally closely with the designer, Morgan Crowcroft Brown. And I also had a text editor, Louis Rogers. Those were the three that I worked with the most intimately. Mack has other people on their team, Mm -hmm. you know, for press and events and things like that. But during the actual making of the book, that was the team that I worked with really closely. And it was an incredibly harmonious relationship. I felt from the beginning that Michael and Morgan really understood my work on a deep level Mm -hmm. and were excited by it and understood what I was trying to do and perhaps helped me 
translate what I wanted to do emotionally and conceptually into practical book form, you know, Mm -hmm. I relied really heavily on their expertise as bookmakers and, and experts in that side of the field. And, you know, so we had some initial calls where I laid out ideas, we looked at the work, and we would often have a really amazing moment happen where I would come to them and say, this is my idea. You know, one, one tangible example is I came to them and said, I don't think I want all the images to be the same size. I'm interested in varying the size of the images to create a rhythm and create a different weight and create a different kind of emotion. Because they had asked me early on, you know, what size do you want the text box to be? And so I brought them this idea that I didn't want there to be a uniform size or even a uniform placement on Mm -hmm, the page. mm -hmm. And they really ran with that and came back with something that was not super conventional. And I felt really enhanced the poetic nature of the work. Definitely. And enhanced the book as a visual poem. And so for anyone who hasn't seen the book, you know, some images are very small on a two-page spread with a lot of breathing room. Some images take up the majority of the page. Sometimes there's a spread where there's a smaller still life image and a larger portrait. The image placement moves around the page. So there's a design logic, but there's a lot of movement and rhythm within the book. And so that was one way in which I felt like I kind of got as far as I could go with an idea. Mm-hmm. And then Max said, okay, we hear you. Let's let's run it through our system and let, let us think about it and come back to you with an actual design. And we did that many times for many different things. And I definitely feel like the book was very collaborative. And I brought a lot to the table and was pretty clear in my vision for the book. But they also brought a lot to the table about how they imagined it existing. And I think one thing they're known for is, well, making really beautiful books and and books that are art objects, but also pushing what a photo book can be. Mm -hmm. And that was something we were thinking about a lot with this book as well. And then in the text, it's really interesting. Because I haven't worked with text, with creative text extensively, For some reason, it didn't occur to me that we would edit my text the same way we Mm -hmm. would edit the photographs. (laughs) And so I sent all of these texts to Mac, and I remember they sent me a proposed edit, and it was a little shocking because they had cut, I don't know, a third of what I had written. And I had this reaction. You had the writer reaction. (laughs) You know, like, you cut all of my text. Like, is this still in my voice? And... And I know enough about myself as an artist and just about the creative process to, I knew intellectually they were probably right, but I had to give myself a day or two to (laughs) sit with it. And, and when I went back and really, you know, past that initial shock moment, when I went back and read it, I realized that they had made my text so much stronger. And the main thing that they did was trim it down. You know, I can, I can sometimes be a wordy writer and I can also sometimes like, state the obvious. And I, a lot of these texts had in their original form, a kind of concluding paragraph that wrapped everything up really neatly. Mm -hmm. And they cut most of those. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so much stronger because of that. But it was really interesting to work with an editor, not only as a photographer, which I'm much more familiar with, but as a writer, which felt newer and a little bit more vulnerable. But to go back to your very original question, I worked most intimately with Morgan and Michael yep. on 
the concept and the design for the book. The cover, I mean, the sort of outer shell, front and back, is incredibly quiet. You know, it really sets uh-huh. you up for almost what what's expected of you as a reader, viewer, you uh-huh. know, how, to, how to enter the book. I mean, do, do you feel that? Like, it's just... Yes. Yeah. yeah, we definitely went quiet, and we went subtle and understated. So that is definitely present throughout the book and reflected in decisions like the cover treatment, which for listeners who haven't seen the book, it's a linen cover with an image printed on top in a duotone. Um, it almost looks black and white, but it's actually a blue ink. And then a very small text. The title is very small and embossed with a white shiny foil. So it's a very subtle treatment. The The text on the spine is white on a light blue linen. So you almost can't see it unless it catches the light. And then my name is really small on the back. So, you know, certain design decisions were meant to make the book feel quiet and to to keep a kind of subtlety and, and prioritize the poeticness of the images. I mean, it's just so interesting because these things, I just, you know, so much credit to Morgan. I mean, you know, you go through the book and then you're holding it and you think, well, right, of course, this is what it's going to look like as an object. But, you know, there's a million different possibilities. And in, right. in my opinion, it's just absolutely dead on. And I can't overstate or underline enough what you just said. You, you really almost cannot see the title of the book on the spine. I mean, it's so, yeah. so subtle. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, it's just such a quiet, contemplative object. Once you get in, the pictures are, are color and they're quite lush. So let's just talk about yeah. the pictures. There's some new you know, style of work in this book for you. Do you want, want to talk about that? Sure, yeah. You know, I'm curious to, to hear your perception of what you think the new style is, but maybe I'll come at it from my perspective first. Yeah, go ahead. You know, a, a lot of the images, so there are a lot of portraits. The book is still primarily portraits. You know, I think the way that I've approached portrait making has changed a bit. And I think perhaps the best way I could articulated is that I've given the portraits a little bit of breathing room. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've done a few tangible things that have made me be very present when I'm photographing and really responsive to the person. And those things include photographing at sunrise and sunset and really quickly shifting light. They include photographing the same person many times over a period of several years so that I feel more freedom to play around and try different kinds of images and collaborate. They include, you know, seeking out different locations. A lot of the work in the book was made outdoors, which is a shift from some of my earlier work. So there's a much more significant landscape element. And then, of course, there are still life images. And I think the still life images play a more significant role in this book than earlier stills have played in my work. I've always made some still life images, but in this book, they're really essential, and I think they bring in a certain kind of emotional tenor that is specific to them. You know, for, for anyone who is unfamiliar with my work, my all of my images, whether portraits or still lives, really hinge upon a very intentional use of light and color and form and gesture and pose and expression. You know, I'm a highly formal photographer, and 
and construct my images almost sometimes like paintings. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the most clear in the stills, which are really in some ways all about light, whether it's an image of a bed or whether it's an image of flowers, the light is, is everything. And it's a kind of intense spiritual kind of light. And so the stills allowed me to really try to get at something on a deeper level and make a different kind of emotional image than a portrait. And then I also think the way that I've sequenced them is unique to this book. You know, there are a lot of poetic moments between a portrait and a still or, you know, a portrait and then specific an image of flowers, for example, on the spreads. And so, yeah, so I think I've given a bit more breathing room to the images themselves. And then also the way that I'm sequencing them is less about each photograph as an individual image and more about how can these 60 images add up to a beautiful, emotional, poetic whole? Yeah, I mean, I agree with everything you just said. So, I mean, I think the still lives are, I feel like you're much more committed to the still lives and to their importance and what they can do. Um, Uh They feel, yeah, it just feels like you're in a more committed relationship (laughs) with (laughs) with the still lives. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, one thing I'll add, too, is, well, maybe two things. I mentioned the book starts and ends with self-portraits. And that was very intentional because Mm -hmm. even though this book is largely portraits of other people, it's so much about me. The writing is so personal. It's about my own story. And even the way that I make pictures of other people, it's so much about my own subjectivities and my own desires. And why I seek out certain kinds of people and what kind of interaction I'm looking for and what that does for me as a person and a photographer. So I really wanted to foreground the subjectivity of both this book and my work. And then the self-portraits in particular have also shifted. There are five in this book and I'm not making eye contact with the viewer in any of them, which is a pretty significant shift from some of my earlier Mm self-portraits, which were very much about a kind of almost confrontational gaze at the viewer saying, this is who I am. This is what my body looks like. This is my gender. This is my sexuality. You know, you need to accept that and make sense of that and think about how you feel about that. There was a very much outward, outward assertion. And I think in all of these recent self-portraits, there's such a sense of interiority and me looking inward and reflecting on myself in a more expansive way. And that feels really significant in book and also just in the newer work as a whole. And then the second thing I was going to add is that there's a pretty significant through line of water in the Mm -hmm, book. mm -hmm. And that's in both the images and the texts. You know, there are images made by the ocean. There's an image of a water glass by the bed. There's Mm -hmm. an image of my partner in the shower. There's, you know, several of the subjects appear in bathtubs or hot tubs. And so, so that's really present. And then a lot of the writings grapple with my relationship to water and and water functions as this kind of poetic metaphor for a lot of other things. And so we really played that up both in the sequencing of the images and the layout of the text. You know, one of the earlier earliest texts, I think it's the second one, centers around water. And then the very last text also is about water. And then the end papers are blue and the linen cover is blue. So we really carried that theme throughout the book as well. Just again, kind of revisiting how we tied in 
you know, the emotional and conceptual content of the book with very literal design decisions. Yeah, I mean, it's a really beautiful sort of balance between one of the other things that, of course, is feels really different is just the, you know, use of landscape and a real sense of like the natural world. And so that balance between the domestic, the interior, yeah. the, the domestic nature of the still lives, as well as some of the pictures, yeah. and then that great expanse of the natural world and setting people within the natural world right. feels so different for you. I mean, it just feels right. like it's, it's interesting because on, on one hand, it, it feels like you've really, with this book, you have really expanded, like your life has expanded. Right. And yet at the same time, it's so, in some ways, so much quieter. So there's uh-huh. two things sort of happening at once, which is really beautiful. And probably you, you used a word earlier when you were talking about light. I think you used the word spiritual. Uh-huh. And I think that there's something very spiritual about keeping those two things in, in balance, the, the uh-huh. going out into the natural world and the inner looking claiming of domestic space uh-huh. and how we live in both these places. So, yeah. you know, one thing that is really interesting, and I want to just touch on it briefly anyway, is this idea that you're collaborating because there are so many, you know, these are, for the most part, portraits of people, not you uh-huh. and not your partner, not Vanessa. Um, it's mostly other people. And yet the book is entirely, almost entirely, I think, about you. Uh-huh. And yet I know you to be a very good and sensitive collaborator. So that, that's a sort of yeah. interesting triangle. Right. How do you think about that? You know, I think that's a really good point. And I think that it's really true in this work. You know, I'm thinking about some of the people in the book like Colin and Oscar, there are a few people who appear many, many times Mm -hmm. and people that I worked with over a period of several years. And, you know, I guess I want to say that I'm always foregrounding my own ethics of, of portrait making. And I always do it in a way that feels respectful of the subject and feels in the moment that we're photographing feels very collaborative with them. So that's always there. And but they're self-portraits in so many ways, right? Right. And, I, you know, I do think people feel seen and respected. Yep. And, and I think all of that holds, all of that works. But I think something that shifted for me in the presentation of this book was really foregrounding, like you said, the ways in which every portrait I make is a kind of self-portrait. Mm-hmm. And the people that I choose to photograph... I choose them because I'm drawn to them. I'm attracted to them. I'm interested in them. There's something about them that I see reflected in myself Mm -hmm. or I want to be near or I want to, to spend time looking at them and, and just being in physical space with them. So there is a way in which I learn about myself through examining who I want to photograph Mm -hmm. and why and how and what that relationship does. And what happens in that space between me and the person that I'm photographing. And there's a text in the book that's explicitly about that kind of fusion of identities. Mm-hmm. So I do think this book is is almost exclusively about me, as you said. And I'm really interested in that exchange between me 
and the person I'm photographing. And I think I mentioned this earlier, but some of the texts directly look at that. They ask questions about why do I need to photograph? Why, why have I set up my life in such a way that I understand myself and learn about myself through photographing other people? Mm -hmm. Like, where did that come from? What does that do for me? You know, and that's something that's always been there, but I think I've named it ex explicitly for the first time in this book. And I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm really interested in that. I mean, it, one of the things that, you know, we grapple with as humans when someone is, is really drawing us in is, do I, do I want to be closer to them? Do I want them or do I want to be them? Right. And I feel like that just runs so much throughout, you know, that question runs th so much throughout this book and those pictures. Totally. Yeah. And there's one line of text that says, I want to be close, but I also want to become. Mm -hmm. And I think that gets at what you're saying. Yep. There is a way in which I want to be close to the people that I'm photographing, but I also want to be parts of them. Mm -hmm. Especially, I think, you know, I've often thought of my work in terms of centering around a certain kind of gentle masculinity. And I think it's it's more expansive and more nuanced than that. But there certainly is a way in which especially when I'm photographing men, there's a kind of desire for me to imagine my own masculinity in relation to theirs mm -hmm. or the way in which their masculine feels at home to me or I want to feel what their gaze on me feels like and my gaze on them feels like. So there is this mirroring that happens in my work where I want to see something about myself through someone else. Mm -hmm. And... I think that's really at the core of this book, that that kind of confluence of two identities, two complicated identities. I agree. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Jess, I think that we should stop there because it's just such a beautiful, honest and open and fascinating and on and on um, concept that we've just sort of laid out. And I really just urge everyone to buy this book it is so incredibly beautiful and moving, and I'm so proud of you and happy for you. And thank you so much, yeah, for, for coming back on. Of course, yeah. Thank you for having me, Sasha. It's always so wonderful to talk to you about my work and new projects, and uh, I really appreciate it. All right. Well, you be well, and I'm going to see you soon, I hope. All right, my friend. That sounds good. Okay. Bye. Bye. Photo Work with Sasha Wolf is produced by me, Michael Chauvin Dalton of Real Photo Show. The executive producer is Sasha Wolf, and our theme music is by Jay Walter Hawks. You can hear Photo Work on all your favorite podcast platforms. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify, and be sure to subscribe on any one of those services or wherever you listen to podcasts.